Hello friends, Doug Scheibel here again, and welcome to the Premature Bible Institute. Just want to thank you for uh, listening in on the lessons. I hope you had a good week. Uh, things have been going good for me. Just got back from Texas A&M where helped uh, present some issues on how the Buddhist mind thinks. It was really, really good. And, and uh, I didn't do it. I was actually helping somebody else who was doing that. And I think the students were um, really, really informed as a result of this. Well, that being said, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some things, some reminders that I always have. Always remember that if you have any questions, you can go to tribalshibel.com, click on the contact tab at the top of the page, fill in the details and ask your question and it'll get sent to me and then we can answer that in another podcast. Now, in the last podcast, we talked about how Satan had come uh, in the form of a serpent and come and had uh, gone up to Eve and started to talk to her, carry on this conversation with her. And the serpent came up and asked her a question. And the question was, did God really say this? You know, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Did he really ask her, uh, did he really say that? And Eve responded by saying, well, God has said. She made a quote and she said, this is, she was quoting God. We can eat from every tree in the garden except the one in the middle of the garden. He says, we're not allowed to eat from that, nor are we allowed to touch it. Or, and that's what she said. So she changed God's word a little bit. And so as a result of that, the serpent decided to not only just take it a little bit further, but take it all the way. He says, God, and then he says, you will not surely die. He says, because in the day that you eat from that tree, God knows that you'll know good and evil and you will be like God. And so it says then that Eve took the fruit, she ate, and she gave to her husband, Adam, and he ate. And he says their eyes were both open, and they saw that they knew that they were naked, and they were ashamed. So they were embarrassed by what had just had happened. They were ashamed of their nakedness. And so what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together in order to cover themselves, and then they hid among the trees. When they heard uh, the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, the term walking in the garden, of course, is a kind of a metaphorical term, an idea that God was in the garden and he presented himself uh, to them and they discussed, talked, whatever it was that they normally did at that particular time. But they knew he was there. And they heard his voice in the garden and they went and they hid themselves among the trees. And like we said last week, this kind of showed how irrational their thinking became. Uh, they were ashamed uh, and therefore, they tried to make themselves presentable before God. They, um, it wasn't like an act of worship, per se. It was just an act of, they knew that they would have to come in front of God, but they were embarrassed to come in front of him naked. And so what they did is they made clothing for themselves made out of leaves. But even that wasn't enough. And we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as we go on. So as a result of this, they're hiding in the trees And then God decides he's going to confront them. And here's how he decides to do it. In Genesis 3, 9, he says this, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And so God called out to Adam. Now, he didn't ask him just any old question. He asked him a rhetorical question. Think of the irony of this question. An omniscient, all-present God asking where he was. Now, that would either be assumed that God didn't know where they were at or he did know where they were at. If you're omnipresent and if you're omniscient, then by nature you know where they're at. So what's the point of the question? 
The point of the question was to get Adam to admit uh, what he had done in a way uh, that would be honest and truthful and so on. So he says, where are you? And Adam responded to God. And what did he say? In verse 10, he said, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So Adam was walking, Was when he heard God's voice in the garden, immediately he went and hid. He and Eve both did. And they were ashamed. And so the covering that they made for themselves wasn't enough, was it? Uh, even And so they, what they decided to do is hide in a place that God had prepared for them also, which was in the garden. And their thinking, like I said, became irrational. The very first thing they did was they tried to cover themselves from a God who can see everything. And then the next thing they tried to do was hide from a God who's everywhere, which is pretty amazing. And so God does something again. He asks another rhetorical question. And in verse 11 says, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now God knew he had, and God knew who had told him he was naked, which was themselves. They understood And so they understood that. And in Hebrews 4.13, it says this about God. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Okay? But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Interesting. When the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4, I just can't help but think that he's thinking back on this event. There is no creature that is hidden from his sight. So just as Adam and Eve tried to hide in the garden, the writer of Hebrews is saying there's no creature that can hide from him. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so this to whom we must give account, God is there. Adam and Eve are going to have to give an account for what they did. And so he comes in, God comes in, and he asks a question. And he asks two questions. And then, so when he asks that question, in verse 12, it says this, Then the man said, The woman whom you gave me, I'm sorry, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. So so here we have Adam. Uh, it isn't enough that he said, I could. he could have just said, I disobeyed, and I ate from the tree that you told me not to eat from. But he has to throw somebody else in the, under the bus with him, doesn't he? It says, the woman whom you gave me, the woman whom you gave to be with me. In other words, Lord, the one that you gave to me, she gave me and I ate. And so he's trying to, it isn't that he's shifting the blame, he's just not going to take all the blame on himself. And so then what does God do? God turns to Eve and he asks her a rhetorical question. And in the first part of verse 13, it says, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Once again, do you think God knew what she had done? Of course he did. So he's asking her a rhetorical question. What is this you've done? In other words, why in the world would you do something like this? So what does Eve do? In that last half of that verse, The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, she's telling the truth. The serpent did deceive her, and she did eat. But why wouldn't she just say, I disobeyed you, Lord, and I ate the tree from which you told me not to eat? But what happens is she wants to throw the serpent under the bus with her. And so these are some things that were there. Uh, It just shows how 
when when a person rebels against God, how their thinking becomes irrational. When they decide to go their own way, do their own thing, the thinking becomes irrational. Satan's thinking became irrational when he was in heaven. He said, I will be like the Most High. Remember what God said about Satan? You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Until what? Until iniquity was found in you. And God said, I had created, he created Lucifer perfect. Everything was going along hunky-dory. And then comes the time when he finds iniquity in him. Not that it wasn't uh, God didn't see it or anything like that. It's just what he means is there came a point where Satan rebelled against God. And he not only rebelled against God, didn't want to do it. He was so arrogant that he thought he would be like the Most High. Now, remember we talked about Satan being the anointed cherub. That means the idea it gives there is that there was something very special about him. Um, It wasn't that he was better than the others. They were all created perfect. But he had a position of authority. And you know what? I don't have any idea what that looked like, what that meant, what he was doing. But I often wonder, now, and I'm telling you this right now, and I will make no claim to have authority on this, what I'm about to suggest, I have no scriptural authority for saying. But I wonder, I just wonder, if Satan's responsibility in heaven before he turned against God was to serve the other angels. And the only reason I say that is because this is a pattern you're going to see throughout scripture, that people of authority, their job is to serve others. And we'll see that as time goes on. And I just wonder, maybe that was his position. As, a, as the anointed cherub, he was to serve the other angels. Maybe to, as a leader or whatever, to teach, to train, to whatever. But maybe he just didn't think that that was... Or in other words, maybe he thought that was beneath his position as the anointed cherub. I don't know. And like I say, I have no idea. I have no knowledge of this. Uh, it's just a thought. But in any event... Satan did turn his back on God, and then that thinking caused him to become irrational in thinking he could be like God, thought he could win against God, thought he could beat God, and all of these different things. But that is, a, that is the difference. Now, there are three characters throughout Scripture, and I'm going to say these in general terms, that are going to be evident. It's going to be, scripture is going to be writing about all three of these. One is God, one is people, humans. And the other one are, are the angelic beings, specifically Satan. Uh, so those three characters are going to be key characters throughout the scripture as you go through them. But there are contrasts between each and every one of those. And I could tell you all the contrasts that there are, what the different ones there are, and I think we will, but it will be kind of better in some ways to, to see this in action. And as you see them acting, you'll start to realize what they are like, but what they are uh, what they are like by what they do. And the thing about um, God is that God, in, uh, like we said in an earlier lesson, God is in a category all His own. As the Creator, He's different. Everything else is the created. People are the created. Angels are the created. Satan is the created, but God is not. God is the creator. That sets him in a different category from everything else. And there are a lot of some things that are similar about God, that there are characteristics about God that are also with humans, and even Satan for that matter, such as, um, um, well, let me put it this way, 
Satan is a spirit, and God is spirit. But there is a difference. God is spirit. That's his essential nature. But Satan is a spirit. In other words, a created being who has spiritual qualities or spirit qualities. Let's put it that way. But there's other aspects about God that makes him unique. God has no beginning, but man has a beginning, and Satan has a beginning. God needs nothing, and man needs everything. He needs food, air, water, protection, light, all the things that God created, man needs. And Satan, even Satan, needs God just to exist. Think about that. Satan could not even exist, even today, if God wasn't allowing him to exist. All he would have to do is quit speaking, quit thinking about it, and Satan would no longer exist. But he does. God knows everything. And that makes him separate from everything else. Man needs to be taught. And Satan's knowledge is limited also. Why? Because he's a limited being. God is everywhere, and he's everywhere at the same time. Um, uh, But man can only be one place at a time, and Satan can only be one place at a time. So God is perfect. And by now we know that Satan is not perfect. Uh, He is a rebellious person. And man now is no longer perfect because he's eaten from this thing. He has disobeyed God, and now he's ashamed. Uh, God is an orderly God. And he was always orderly, and he continues to be orderly. Why? Because he doesn't change. But man has changed. Now that they were perfect in the created way they were before, now he's no longer perfect. So there's been a change. And Satan changed. He was created perfect. But because of his rebellion, he's no longer perfect. So he has changed. But God is still the same as he always was. Uh, He's good. God is good. But man has now become evil. He's become flawed. Uh, Satan is evil. He's not only flawed, he's evil in his intent. He wants to do things for the right because he hates God. Um, God is still lawful. He still obeys. I I shouldn't say that. Not obeys. He still sets the rules. And those rules are consistent with his character. But now man has decided to change the rules. He decided to... He didn't really change the rules, he changed his action, and now he's become a lawless person. And Satan is lawless. So, um, and God is completely satisfied with who he is. But man is not. Man is not satisfied with who he is, he's not even satisfied with God. And Satan certainly was not satisfied with being the anointed cherub. He wanted to be like God had said. So, God cannot lie is another thing. But man has now made, started to, uh, that process, you know, of, of, um, of lying uh, before God, trying to explain things in a way that would bring less harm to him, to manipulate God in, a, in essence. And Satan still believes he can believe God. And you know what? God still asks rhetorical questions. And we don't have the answers unless we're telling the truth. So God is different. Remember that. God is in a category all his own. He's separate. He's unique. He's different. But he's like himself. He never changes. He's always what he is. And that's something we can learn to count on. But man has changed. Everything up to this point, there was a time in, this, in history when everything was just hunky-dory. It couldn't have been better. But things changed. 
And now we're starting to, we're going to start going through, as we go through the Old Testament, you're going to start realizing more and more and more and more man's essential nature as a result of this. And Satan, Satan still thinks he's won uh, because of this event. You know, he thinks, ah, you know, I got him. I got Adam and Eve. Now the creation that God put in charge of all the earth, the man and the woman who are going to manage everything, now they're flawed. And now he's going to, what are they going to, what's he going to do now? So because Satan is not omniscient, he doesn't know everything, doesn't know the future, he doesn't know what's going to happen, but God does. And, you know, just consider, just consider for a second how this one act of disobedience changed everything forever. It changed everything except one thing. It, it didn't change God. God still stays the same. So... What are the consequences of this act? What are the kind of the, some of the things that we can learn from this? Well, in the next lesson, this is what we're going to start dealing with. We're going to start dealing with the fall and the results of it, and we'll start learning some things about the consequences of this one act of disobedience. So I just want to say thanks again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being part of this class. I pray in the days ahead that we'll grow and understand who God is, who we are, who Satan is, and how we're supposed to respond to all of that information. And that that we can respond and live in such a way that it brings honor to the one who created us. So, that being said, you all take care and have a good evening. Bye.